The previous Mishnah talked about the setup of a basin and how they sat during a basin. They would sit in a semicircle so that all of the judges could see each other. And this Mishnah now adds that there would be three rows of righteous people sitting in front of the basin. Each one of them would recognize his position. They would be seated according to how great they were, the greatest one of them being in the front row and sitting in order of greatness. And if the base then needed to appoint a new judge to join the base then, if something happens to one of the judges who are already judging the case, or if judges need to be added on to the base then, like we saw in the previous parak, if a majority isn't reached, or if a majority of one is reached to say that he is guilty. For example, 12 of the judges say that the person is guilty and 11 of them say that he is innocent. Additional judges would need to be added onto the base then because we are not able to kill him in such a case. So in a case where judges need to be added onto the base then, they would add them on from those who are sitting in the rows. So they would appoint one of the people sitting in the front row. So let's say he was sitting on the in the front row on the far right. So he would now go and sit with the judges, and everybody would shift over one seat to the right. So that now means that one of the people sitting in the second row, he would come and sit on the far left of the front row, and one of the people sitting in the third row on the far right, they would move forward to sit on the far left of the second row. And once they did this, they would choose one of the other people, another Talmud Chacham who is sitting in the audience, well not the audience, but he's sitting there, and he wasn't yet part of these three rows. There's now a spare seat for him, as it were, and so they would sit in place of the old judges. However, the Lord is delicious. They would make him sit in the third row. Those people wouldn't just go and sit down in the place where the first judges, the ones who had just added onto the basin, were sitting. Rather, we make sure everybody shifts up, and then they'll sit at the back. Rather, he will sit in the place which is fitting for him, because once again, they are sitting in the order of how great they are. Now, the reason why they were seated like this, specifically in three rows, is because the maximum number of judges on a basin is 71. I'm generally not concerned that something will happen to one of the judges that will have to leave. So the main reason why these judges are here are in a case where a majority wasn't reached. More judges need to be added on for the vote to be made again. Now, the maximum number of judges on a base then is 71. So if you start off with 23, the maximum number of judges you're going to add on is 48. Now, it's considered unbefitting for the row of these Tamil to be wider and contain more, a larger number of people in a row than that which was contained in the basin itself. The basin itself was made up of 23 judges who sat in a line or a semicircle next to each other. It would be unbefitting for more than 23 judges, excuse me, Tamil to sit in a line opposite them. So the maximum number of judges would sit opposite them is 23. So you'd have 23, and then the second row of 23, that's 46, and there's still another two judges, two potential judges. So they would sit in the third row, and the third row would be made up of just two judges. So altogether, a combination of those who are part of the 
base then itself, 23 Daonim, together with all the Chachomim sitting opposite them, that would make up 71 people. Mishnah, hey, how would the base then literally intimidate, put fear into the witnesses of Aiden and Foshos who are testifying about a capital case that somebody should potentially be killed by base then? They would bring them into the Bastin's room, and they would intimidate them a bit in the following way. They would ask them lots of questions to make sure that they are testifying and they really have testimony to give. Perhaps you are saying a statement, testifying against this person out of an evaluation of your own, but you didn't actually see the thing be done. Maybe you have circumstantial evidence, but you didn't actually see the thing be done. Or maybe you heard that this happened. Perhaps it's uh, you're a witness who heard it from another witness who actually did see it. Or you claim that you heard it from a very trustworthy person. Or perhaps you don't realize that we're going to check you and investigate you with lots of different questions as we'll see in the next parak, and perhaps you are coming to testify falsely, so you should know that we're not going to accept false testimony. And then they add that have you them, you should know the severity of testifying falsely regarding monetary matters is not the same as the severity of testifying falsely regarding capital cases. Dinimomnus, regarding monetary matters, odomnus in momnus capriloi, a person who testified falsely can give money and receive an atonement by giving the money to the person who he tried to make that person lose out the money. If he gives him that money, he would receive his, at- his atonement. But then in a foshais, if you testify falsely regarding a death penalty and that person is killed, then that person's blood, his life, and the blood and the life of all of his descendants who were not born as a result of this person being killed, they're all dependent upon you. You are considered, you're held responsible for all of that. Because we find regarding Cain, who killed his brother, Hevel, the Posik there says, as the Posik says, Hashem says to Cain, the blood of your brother is crying out. And the word demei is in the plural. It doesn't say the blood of your brother. Rather, the bloods of your brother. And it's coming to hint to the fact that not only... Hevel's life was dependent and Chaim was considered responsible for this, but he was considered responsible for much more than that. Domov Damzar the blood and the life of Hevel and all of his descendants, which at that stage of the world, that's a quarter of, of humanity. There was Odom and Chava and Chaim and Hevel. So he killed a quarter of the people who were alive. The amount of people who would have come out of Hevel is incredible. So Chaim was held responsible for all of that. Now, the Mishnah adds in sort of brackets over here, Dovar Acher, another explanation for the Posuk, which says, the bloods of your brother, and this part was not said to the witnesses. The Mishnah just adds in another explanation, that the blood of Hevel was thrown onto wood and stones, the blood of Hevel was everywhere, and the Mephoshim explained, Cain didn't know how to kill Hevel. No one had ever been killed before. And so it says the blood in the word in the plural because there was lots of blood spilled in lots of places. Now the Mishnah goes back to what was said to the witnesses. A person was created 
in a, as an individual. Hashem created Adam Rishon by himself, not as a pair. In order to teach you that anybody who destroys, who wipes out, who kills one soul, one person of Kral Yisrael, the Torah considers it as if he destroyed an entire world. And anybody who saves even one Jewish life, the Torah considers it as if he has saved and sustained the entire world. Alright, now the Mishnah again stops giving its speech to the witnesses, and the Mishnah adds another explanation for why a person was created as an individual, for the sake of keeping peace and harmony between people, so that nobody is able to say to his friend, my father and my ancestors are greater than yours. Ultimately, we all come from the same ancestor, Adam Rishon. And another explanation is so that heretics don't say there are lots of different powers in heaven. There's not just one God, they might say there are a few, and that's why there were lots of different, there were a number of people created in the beginning because each one of these powers created a person. In order that nobody be able to claim such a thing, Adam Rishon was created as an individual. And another explanation is to show the greatness of Hashem because regarding a person, he can form many different coins with one stamp, one thing which gives the coin its shape. I can make a replica of that many times, but all the coins will be exactly the same as each other because they come from this same mold. But Hashem, the king of all kings, he formed each person in the same, with the same mold as Adam Rishon. But not one person is similar to his friend. At no time has anybody been created as the same person as somebody else. Therefore, says the Mishnah very famously, every single person is obligated to say, The world was created for me. So that I can make a difference in the world. So that I can fix something here which nobody else can fix. Evidence for that being that I am different to anybody else. And Hashem created me to be different to anybody else. Because there is a particular mission which I have to fulfill. Which nobody else has ever or will ever be able to fulfill. Alright, now the Mishnah goes back to discuss what was said to the witnesses. The Shema Toimuran, perhaps you might say, Why do we need to bother with this whole stressful situation and all of this intimidation, we're just not going to testify. If it's so severe to testify falsely, whatever it may be, we know we, we are real witnesses, but I don't want to go through all of this intimidation and based in. So they would say to the witnesses, but the Pesach already says, if somebody is a witness, or he saw the event, he knows about the event, if he does not give over that testimony in based in, then the Pesach continues, he'll have to bear his sin. That's considered an Avera. So if you are a witness, then you are obligated to testify. Perhaps you might say, why should we become responsible for this person's life? I'd rather li- violate this Avera and not be held accountable for this person's life and all of his descendants' lives. On that, they support the Alekvanemar. Surely the Pesach already says that when your shotim are destroyed, when they are killed, then quite the opposite. There is gladness. 
it's considered to be a good thing. So if indeed you are telling the full truth and this person is liable to the death penalty, he's a Russia, and you would certainly not be punished for bringing about his death in Beistin. The Beistin would interrogate them, the witnesses, with seven main questions of basic details regarding the case and some basic information regarding their testimony. Which Shmita cycle out of the 50 years? Once every 50 years is a Yovel. Within those 50 years are seven cycles of, of seven years. So during which of the cycles of the Yovel did this occur? Secondly, during which year of the Shmita cycle? Which month of that year? How many days into that month? On what day of the week, what time of the day did it happen, and where, in what place did this thing happen? All of these things are necessary to find out in order that the witnesses can be proved to be false. Now, Rabbi says they don't need to ask them during which Shmita cycle it happened. When people testify about something, they testify very soon after the event happened. So it's clear that it was during this Shmita cycle. You'd start asking him if it happened years earlier. And so Rabbi Yossi says it's enough to just ask, but is a yoim on what day of the week did it occur? But is a shot what time? But is a makaim and in what place? Now, Tanakama agrees that it's sort of unnecessary to ask him these questions. However, the more questions we do ask the witnesses, the more they might become confused. And if they are indeed lying, they'll be discovered more easily. All right. The basin continue to ask him some more questions. Do you recognize the person you are testifying against? Or according to Sam, it's talking about a case of somebody who murdered someone else. And the basin are asking him, do you recognize the person who was murdered? Only if the person who was murdered is Jewish, would the person who murdered him be liable? His racing boy, they ask him, did you give him warning? Somebody is only killed by Beistin if they were warned by the witnesses not to do that beforehand. If he is testifying about somebody serving idolatry, then they would ask him details about that. Which type of idolatry did he serve? And how did he serve that Zara? And the same goes for anything. For example, if he was testifying that he didn't keep Shabbos, he would need to ask in what way? Which form of work did he perform? These details would also be asked of the person testifying. And all of these questions come under the category of Derisha and Chakira, which are some of the basic questions which need to be asked. Mishnah Beis, Klamar Bedikais. Any based in which asks lots of Bedikais, which is a third type of question, part of the investigation of the witnesses. And these are more fine details about the case. And the purpose of these questions is in, in order to make sure the person is not lying. By asking him lots of these questions, it would be discovered if he is indeed lying. Heizem Shubach, any basin who asks lots of these questions, is praiseworthy. Because the more valid and reliable the testimony becomes. Maisa, there was a story of Vala ben Zakai Ben Zakai asked the witnesses regarding the stalks of a fig tree. They said that the event happened next to a fig tree. So they asked them about the appearance of the fig tree. That way they would be able to find out if the two witnesses are lying or telling the truth. If their words contradict each other, then they would be found out to be lying. Asks the Mishnah, What is the difference between the main important 
most important questions of Chakiris, which were discussed in the previous Mishnah, to the Badikais, which are discussed in this Mishnah. Chakiris regarding the more basic questions, Echad If one of the witnesses says that I don't know an answer to the question, Edelson Betela, their entire testimony is invalid because we're lacking some basic information regarding the case, and that lack of information means that we can't really prove if that if that witness is lying. Now, but decades, when it comes to these more fine details, the questions asked about those, if one of the witnesses says that I don't know the answer to the question, or even if two, if both of the witnesses say, we don't know the answer to this question, nevertheless, the testimony is still valid. Says the Mishnah, regarding both Chakiris and Badikais, in a case where they contradict each other, where both people say opposite to each other, then Edusun Betela, their entire testimony is invalid, even regarding the Badikais.